Hi, I'm Anna McEwen, and this is The Epic Narrative. And now, my dad, Bob Switzer. So, we've been, I know, uh, I've been looking back. Like, we've cranked out a chapter, an episode, I think, uh, the last couple weeks, and we're going to try and do it again today. We'll be in 1 Samuel 28. Now, this, this story is... It's one that probably most uh, church people would know, um, because this, you know, the, there's a lot. <laughs> I just because there's a lot of ways for a preacher to use this to manipulate people, and so it's a it's a good story for a preacher to uh, to bring to bring home the hammer, to swing for the fences with with awesome, you know. Awesome tools of the trade that so many use. Not everyone, but so many use. You know, the guilt, the shame, the uh, the, yeah, the pressure and manipulation for behavior, behavior, behavioral, behavioral alterations. Just so that people will behave differently in his church or his ministry or her ministry or her church. It doesn't really matter. The gender, it's just one of those stories that, that people will often use to manipulate others. And, you know, I, I literally, I just posted today on my status, it uh, something about, I, I don't know the exact quote, but it was basically, you, you can't use the tools of the enemy to defeat the enemy. When it comes to spiritual warfare, if you use guilt or shame or fear, or hatred, or disappointment, to try and and change someone's behavior, you know, to to make someone behave more like Christ, to uh, to defeat the enemy's lies, you know, in their life, or defeat the enemy's uh, be, be the the results, the resulting behavior in someone's life. Like if you use any of those things to try and win this person over to to behave more like Jesus or to be more like Jesus, or to believe the things of the Bible. Anytime you use those things, the enemy gets empowered. It's like it's like feeding the beast. Like you can you can play all kinds of games with all of those bad things and and you can say, well, you know, I'm just I'm just doing this. I'm doing this for the right reasons. That person shouldn't be um uh fornic- fornicating shouldn't be fornicating, <laughs> shouldn't be having sex outside of marriage. He shouldn't be having sex with somebody else other than his spouse during marriage. They, they sh- you know, shouldn't be smoking, if that's what you think. You know, if you think smoking is a bad thing. I, I'll pick a few others. Uh, drinking, you know, or good grief. I mean, I've been around so long. Like, this list of bad behaviors has changed so many times. When I was growing up, long hair was an issue on men. And short hair on women. Oh, my gosh. Anyways. Oh, I could really spiral out of control. Anyways, the the use of guilt and shame and hate and fear and control and disappointment uh, to manipulate people's behavior only feeds the enemy. It literally, it, it, it makes what you're trying to do ineffective. And I think, I think there's years of testimonies of that. How many people have, you know, 
gone forward at an altar call only to go home and go right back to the old behavior. It's because most altar calls are based in some sort of guilt or shame. They, it's, it's a manipulation of, of whatever in order to get you to do something. And then, and then it disappears. Why? Because you haven't actually changed anything. You haven't done the, the warfare end of it. You've actually fed the, fed the enemy. You've actually given the enemy more weapons to use. It's, it's honestly, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous to me that I fell for that, that I preached that, that it was taught to me. And I thought, yeah, that's, that makes sense. Of course we'd use these things because we gotta we gotta make people right with God. And yet we use none of the none of the things that God gives us. We we say we say we're we're doing all of this in the name of Jesus who loves us. Oh my gosh. It's like, well, if I'm motivated by love, it doesn't matter what I do. Yes, it does, because love doesn't do those things. It just doesn't. Love doesn't make you feel guilty. Love invites you into relationship. Love doesn't use shame. Love love draws you into a better a better connection, a better um, yeah better connection. Love doesn't use uh, fear. It uses love. It doesn't try to control you. It empowers you. It releases you to be something that you're designed to be. It doesn't manipulate behavior. It reminds you of who you really are. And and behavior will come from that. Oh, I know. Now you're preaching, Bob. You haven't been telling a story. I don't know how you're going to get through this chapter. That's the little engineer in my head telling me that. And he's right. He's right. I'm whatever. Almost six minutes in, and I haven't even started with the chapter. So there's a lot. There's a lot. This chapter's filled. It's it's something church people probably know. If you haven't been to church, um then you might not. Or maybe you vaguely remember hearing something about Saul doing this, but this is uh, this will be fun. So 1 Samuel 28, in those days, dun, 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 the Philistines gathered their forces to fight against Israel. Akish said to David, this kind of sounds like I sneezed, right? Akish, excuse me, pardon me. God bless you. Akish says to David, you must understand that you and your men will accompany me in the in the army. David said, then you will see for yourself what your servant can do. And Akish replied, very well. I will make you my bodyguard for life. So, so in those days, that's a phrase that is used again. It's one of those time phrases, right? And what it means is that arrangements are being made for a large battle. Akish wants, it's probably springtime, because springtime is when most people went to battle. The um, the fields have been planted. Pretty much, you know, you can now spare some of the men, some of the servants, some of the attendants. You can release them to be part of the army, to go into go into battle, and maybe you come back with, payment you come back with the spoils you come back with with things that uh, will help you out in the future it's it's on a, it's it's in a lot of ways battle at, at this point for for a lot of these nations these tribes these large you know city states they would go into battle more so for what they could get out of it than it was 
like uh, we need to take over the country. It was more. It was more to just have resources, more resources available for the pe- for your people, so your people will survive longer and better and be more wealthy. And and so they make arrangements. In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces to fight Israel. So Kish calls David, or maybe this is one of David's days that he comes in to report. He comes in, and he says, "Hey, listen, we're we're going to battle. I want you and your men to be with me." in the army. Now, Akish isn't asking David to do anything that he didn't think David was already doing. Remember, he believes that David is going out once a month or whatever the rhythm was to uh, to attack Israel, to attack Judah, to wipe out and and plunder villages and cities. And David lies to him. He, I mean, he's the one who made Akish do this. Akish never checked on what David was doing. He believed David. He trusted David. This is pretty awesome. It speaks to the character of David. It also speaks to the to the to the um, reputation that that David had. Right. I guess it, those two things are closely related. But his, you know, the character of David was he didn't he didn't lie. And the reputation of David was uh, you didn't need to hold him accountable. He had integrity. Now, David has been spending that integrity, so to speak. He's been, he's been, <laughs> uh, he's been using up the, uh, using up the old um, bank account. Good grief, Bob. Could you not come up with that? I really couldn't, actually. In the moment, I could not find it. Okay. So David says, like, he has to commit. You, you have to wonder, like, in the, in the moment, was David like, oh, no. Or had he kind of mentally put himself through the patterns that say, all right, I know eventually I'm probably, you know, we're going to be asked to go to war. Like, there's, like any king is, would, be, would be stupid not to take 600 mercenaries with our reputation into battle with him. And there's probably only one group of people that the Philistines are going to go into battle against, and that would be our people. I think internally, David kind of knew that this day was coming, and that's why he was ready with his answer. And I I wouldn't be surprised if he had had the discussions a few times with at least the commanders within his army, where they sat down and, and, and you know, around the, around the campfire or around the 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 dinner table they didn't have tables i was just around the dinner rug (laughs) and he says all right guys what are we going to do if the philistines ask us to go to war with it with israel so david's response i think was was ready it was prepared and david says then you will see for yourself what we can do and akish said awesome then i'm going to make you my bodyguard for life. Now that sounds like he was going to be attached to a quiche, but basically it was, again, it was kind of like being the armor bearer for Saul back in the day. It's a place of, it's a place of honor. It's a place, it's a position. It means that David would be part of the military planning. It means that he would be in the military council. It means that other commanders would have to acknowledge that David was who Akish says he was. 
Now this this was this was uh, as we'll see later not it was not the way that the other commanders saw David. They always viewed him as a foreigner. They viewed him as a threat. It didn't matter what the reports were coming back. It didn't matter. And maybe maybe some of these commanders were had enough contacts over the border that they were getting some feedback that that was curious to them because Akish is telling them that David goes out and he kills, you know, he, he kills and he, and he pillages and he, you know, he's, he's weakening, weakening the defenses of Israel, you know, every month or every day, who knows? And the commanders are, are more on the ground people. And, and they're not getting any feedback from the borders that, that Israel's been under attack or that Judah was under attack or that a village has fallen he, they, they weren't getting any of that information. And that's why I think they were suspicious of him. But literally, that's the next chapter. We need to move on. Now, Samuel was dead. All Israel had mourned him and buried him in his own town, Aramah. And Saul had expelled all the spiritualists and mediums from the land. So from Saul's perspective... He did the right thing in getting rid of all the mediums, all the palm readers, all the astrologers, all of the. Uh, and what's interesting is is there's the the spiritualists and the mediums also used um, potions to help uh, put you into trances. So basically, there was a lot of not a lot. There was drugs involved. I don't know a lot of drugs. I don't know if people were addicted to them. But they were they were in essence, uh, you know, not drug dealers, but maybe they were witch doctors, whatever you want to call them. He had gotten rid of them all. Now I have a feeling he did that because he thought God would be happy with them. Uh, I don't know. I really don't, because he he clearly wasn't connecting with Samuel before Samuel died, and maybe that. Uh, maybe that was Samuel's fault. I, I definitely think Samuel Samuel had the right to speak to the king. Samuel never exercised that right. He had clearance. He could have went to Saul at any time, and he didn't. But flip side, Saul could have went to him, and he didn't. So they didn't have a they did not have a relationship for years before Samuel died. And in essence, at some level, Saul didn't have any other spiritual guidance either. So the Philistines assemble. They come up. They set up camp at, you know, on one side of the valley. And Saul is gathering all of Israel to set up camp on the other side. It's still, this is a time thing. He, they're not ready to run down the hills yet. They're still waiting for men to show up. And, and you know, there's intimidation things. There's there's often there would be chants that would go on th- over the valley through the night to try and keep the other side awake. They would bang on you know bang on their um, shields. They would they would clank sword you know whatever whatever it took. Shoot you know sling rocks, just just to try and intimidate, just to create you know some tension, hurl insults at one another. So, you know, that's going on every night. But Saul saw the Philistine army, and he was afraid. It it, it freaks him out. He sees the vastness 
the vastness of the army. And he freaks out. Uh, as I said, they assembled, right? So Israel, uh, I did want to note this, just technically speaking. I, I, I forgot to, uh, I, didn't rec- I didn't see this, but it's a, it was a three-day journey from the capital city to where this battle is taking place. So that's why they're waiting. And that's why they're, they're giving each other space. Because, you know, they make these arrangements before anybody shows up. They all know where it's going to happen. They have to give everybody a chance to travel down there. Saul sees how big the army of the Philistines is. He's afraid. Says terror filled his heart. This is not unusual, right? Fear is not something that is unusual for somebody who has created a culture of fear. It's the culture. It's the atmosphere in which he generally operates. It's what he's familiar with. So to be overwhelmed with it makes sense as well. If you create a culture of love, then you see circumstances and often you get overwhelmed with love and you overwhelm those circumstances with love. But fear, fear overwhelms you and you become incredibly unstable and you become selfish and you're just looking for answers because fear is going to also feed the idea of being a victim. And Saul doesn't want to take full responsibility for what he's done. So he needs some help. So here's, here's, a, here's a verse, verse 6. He inquires of the Lord. But God did not answer him in dreams or the Urim or the prophets. <laughs> now, there's, this, this is where preachers like it, right? They can say, see, the sin that Saul had had committed cut him off it cut him off from the voice of god god won't talk to you if you're sinning god won't talk to you you need to get your life right you want direction from the lord you want information from the lord you want to know what god wants you to do in your life you if you want purpose and direction you better get right with him you better get that sin out your life now come on forward and we'll bless you <laughs> oh lord anyways it's a great verse if you want to manipulate people but if you want to uh spend some time to actually break it down and understand it from the perspective of god being good this is how it goes saul inquired of the lord but he couldn't hear him you see to me that's a huge difference because when you make choices to live in a world of fear rather than love, when you, when you have constantly, consistently, for a lot of years, ref, you know, failed to step into the opportunity to repent, failed, failed to step into the invitation to change your perspective from fear to love, change your perspective from hate to hope, to change your perspective from from conflict to peace change your perspective from victim to purpose slash identity when you when 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 you have refused to step into these invitations and i i know i've covered them uh, but if you think through the last 20 something episodes how many invitations how many times did 
Samuel observed the favor on someone else and didn't receive that as an invitation that God would do the same for him. How many times did someone question Saul and rather than step into the question and say, you know what, I don't know, I need to, I, I should ask the Lord. He, he instead got defensive and offended and lashes out in anger and hatred and sometimes uh, tries to kill the person who, who questioned him. How many days or nights, and this is something we don't know, it could have been hundreds of nights that he spirals into depression and disappointment about himself and the choices he's made and the fact that he hasn't stepped into all that God called him to. He's, he's, he's just dealing with this incredible uh, weight because he knows that he was anointed. He knows he was called. If you remember way back, I think in the first episode, we talked about the, the, the incredible, um, uh, experience he had with with God and the way that um, the way that the Lord just confirmed over and over and over again I think it was three separate unique confirmations uh, just on his way from Samuel to home and then he did it again in front of the elders and he did it again with Samuel in front of his father and then he did it again I mean God just kept telling him and I know Samuel uh, Saul knows this but he's created such a culture of fear around him and he's refused the invitations of the Lord over and over and over again that he's that and I know I know the Christianese of the word is he's hardened his heart. But really what it is is that is he's just dulled his hearing. He hasn't tuned in to God. He's purposely refused to tune into that station. And here it is again. He goes to inquire of the Lord. He go, he wants to listen. But he doesn't know. He doesn't know the voice. There's so many other voices that he's given the right to 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 be in his head. Because of the sin slash choices he's made, the results of those choices is that he has given access to the enemy to cause confusion. That is that is a awesome uh, weapon of the enemy is confusion. And he also gets really loud. Right, he doesn't bring peace. He brings the enemy brings the storm. So in the storm, and in the confusion, Saul can't find the voice of God. And when he does hear it, he doesn't know it's his. And that's really what it is. I don't think that I I cannot believe that God wouldn't answer somebody who is calling him. It's that Sam Saul doesn't recognize it. And if he did kind of recognize it, he doesn't believe it's really him. He never saw himself worthy. Of the anointing. He never saw himself worthy of the voice and the favor and the blessing of God. He always struggled. And and I think the older he got, the worse it got. He struggled with self-rejection. I covered it. I know I covered it. I'm just bringing it up again. He struggled with it. And this is the position it puts you in. It puts you in a position where even when God speaks to you, you don't hear him because it takes, it does take practice. It does. I, I've helped people learn to hear the voice of God, and I cannot tell you, it's it's strange. It's it, it's hard to do at first. You you don't think you're doing it. You don't realize how easy it is. You really, really don't. 
because the enemy has so piled on these expectations of what the voice of God would be like that, that you don't realize how simple it is, how easy it is to hear it. And so when I help people learn how to hear the voice of God, I, you know, you just spend the time saying, you know, basically trust it, trust that you heard it, trust that you heard it. If what you heard lines up with the kingdom of God, if it lines up with love and peace and hope and joy, if anything sounds like that, that's him. And people are like, but it's, you know, often I'll give you this. So many times they think it's not God because it sounds like their voice. It sounds like their own voice in their in their head, and they think it can't, it can't be it can't be, like I that's my that's a me thought. And man, that is it is really. It's it's a journey for some. Some people get it you know quicker than others. That's not I mean that's not, no indication of their spirituality. But but when you when you hear the voice of God and it sounds like your voice. Like now this becomes what? An identity thing. You hear your voice, but you don't think you are worthy of it. You don't think you're like my, these would, my thoughts wouldn't be like God's thoughts. My voice wouldn't sound like God's voice. And and the self-doubt steals the voice of God from you. It's not that God isn't talking, it's that self-doubt steals it. Who steals the enemy. The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He will steal the voice of God from you, and he stole the voice of God from Saul right here. It, the fact that that it says the Lord did not answer him by by dreams, Urim, or the or the prophets. It's not that he didn't speak. It tells me he did. The Lord sent him dreams, and when he woke up, he thought, "No, that that can't be God. That can't be God." What was God trying to tell him? This is what's fascinating to me. God was trying to encourage Saul. He was trying to give him strategies for victory. Why wouldn't he want Saul to win? Well, because God stole the kingdom from him and gave it to David. No, 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 no. That was the result of Saul's choices if he continues to make those choices. That's what Samuel was telling him. It was not a guarantee. We went over that before. And that's... That's what the Lord's doing here. He's like, okay, I'll speak to him in a dream. Nope. I don't think it's I don't think that's what God wants to tell me. Oh my gosh. I, I interpret dreams for people. There's so many times people will bring me their dream and they, they just immediately assume it's death and doom because that's what they think the voice of God should sound like. They think it's filled with wrath. They think it's filled with 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 um you know death. And burning. And God speaks to them in a dream and they, they come to me and they're like, you know, I, I think I'm I think I'm gonna die or whatever. Like I, I think my marriage is over. I think and they tell me the dream and I don't see it that way at all. Because I hear the voice, I see those uh, you know, I see those I don't necessarily see their dream. I you know, I write down notes on their dream and I'm seeing this beautiful hope filled picture. And I spit it back to them, and they, they're amazed. They're amazed because rather than feel oppressed by the enemy, they realize God's trying to communicate to them and has been. When it comes to dreams, I often say nightmares are like are like the volume up full full blast. It doesn't mean that, that God sent the nightmare. It just means the volume on what he's trying to communicate. Like he's, he's yelling. 
it gets nightmares are intense. And I think Saul probably saw a nightmare. And he's like, I that can't be God. Oh, I'm gonna die. And he goes to the prophets, and the prophets speak out what God's telling them, and he doesn't he doesn't think it's God. He doesn't think it's God. And the Urim, the 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 stones, the the dice that were rolled. You know, he he sees it rolled, he sees the answer, and he thinks, yeah, I don't think it's God. Like, he just can't hear it because he spent so much time ignoring it. And now he's confused when he hears it. He's, he's, the self-doubt comes in and steals it. The, the loudness of the storm, the, the troops on the other side of the valley that are, you know, making intimidating singing intimidating thumping intimidatedly like it it rattles his brain he's he's like ah this, it can't be god where's god where's god so he's so desperate for spiritual help <laughs> he's so de- desperate for spiritual help Saul says to one of his attendants i need a witch i need a medium i need somebody who speaks to the dead I need to talk to her. And I don't know if the guy knew immediately that there was the one at Endor, the witch at Endor, but they got him the information. There's like, you can go to Endor. There's one there. So Saul disguises himself. And at night, he and two men went to the woman. He disguises himself not only for the witch, but I really think he disguised himself so he could leave the camp without being seen. He didn't want his men to know that that he was leaving because they would probably all leave as well. They'd be like, oh, I guess we're not fighting. I guess the king figures we're going to lose, so I guess maybe we should we should pack up. So he, he hides, he leaves at night, he goes to Endor, and, and he says to the woman, uh, Consult a spirit for me and bring up the one that I name. I I want to talk to someone specifically. I don't want I don't want some mumble jumbo, ooh, here's a dead person from your past. I want to speak to someone specifically. And she's like, Well, I would I would do it, but you know what the king has promised. The king has promised that he will put to death anybody who does this, so I can't do it for you. Because it'll be a trap. How do I, you know, basically? I don't know who you are. Although I have a, I have a strong sense being a medium. She probably had a good idea of who was there. I don't know who you are. I don't know who these guys are. For all I know, you're here to kill me if I say yes. So Saul makes, uh, you know, swears. It's like, uh, as sh- you know, surely as the Lord lives, you will not be punished for this. And the woman said, "Fine. Who do you want to see?" Now she, she's uh, right. She's protected herself. She has a reputation of bringing up the dead. So much of a reputation that that the attendants of Saul know about her, which which tells me that the people who are close to Saul aren't telling Saul all the things they're supposed to tell him, because theoretically Saul has emptied the country of these of of mediums and witches and soothsayers and spiritualists he's he's gotten rid of them but his attendants know that there's one in endor 
And they probably know of a few others. Endor was just the closest one. Which goes to that spirit of fear and control. You don't inform, you know, information in a in a culture of fear and control. When your leader is is leading in that direction, information becomes a commodity. So you keep the information in your back pocket, and you pull it out when you need it. And nobody had, you know, no one needed to impress Saul. No one had needed that that information yet. So no one had told them about Endor, or maybe several others. So she says. Uh, who do you want me to bring up? Now, she asked this question, again, because she's been in business. It's not like she's been in hiding and, and she's rumored to have been a witch. She's been doing this for a while. He says, bring Samuel up. So she does. <laughs> she does. This is This is intense. Like, this is one of those... <laughs> This is one of those spiritual, mystical, like, wait a minute. What is God doing here? God is sending Samuel back from the dead as a ghost when he's called upon by a witch. Yeah. Somebody who probably, generally, is stays connected to, let's say, not God, who's probably usually interacting with demons and devils and and maybe a little bit of deception because the enemy's really good at that. She sees Samuel and she cries out at the top of her voice, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. <laughs> Now, I didn't scream at the top of my voice, but she gets in that moment. I don't, I know, I know when you're preaching this to manipulate people, you say, see, you know, the only time she ever saw someone come back from the dead was when God did it because, because all of this spiritual stuff is deception, all this stuff is lies. It's, it's not. The reason why the enemy sends up the dead people is because he tries to mimic what God does. And so Samuel shows up because God can override anything. His goodness is not unavailable to people, even if they're in witchcraft. And I can give you testimonies from all kinds of people that I know, both in the States and as missionaries, that have seen witch doctors slash spiritualists slash devil worshipers literally have a face-to-face -face with Jesus or many with an angel and they are they are converted. I mean it's 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 fascinating. So I'm not surprised by this. She's surprised because when Samuel shows up, I think the first thing he says to her is what does Saul want? And she freaks out at Saul. She's mad at Saul for being deceptive. Why? Cuz she's not being de deceptive. She's doing her her honest job. She's like you lied to me. You're Saul. And the king says to her, wait, 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 no, 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 no. Like he realizes, oh, Samuel's here. Like I, the only reason why she knows I'm Saul is because somebody told her and we didn't say anything. So it has to be who she's talking to. He's like, don't be afraid. What, what do you see? Tell me what you see. Tell me what you see. And the woman said, I see a ghostly figure coming out of the earth. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. But what, is he, what does he look like? What does he look like? He's an old man wearing a robe. And is coming up. 
Ah, that's him. That's him. And Samuel, uh, Saul jumps out of his chair or rolls off the, off the pillow and he bows down to Saul or Samuel. Not that you should bow down to angels, but he's, he's just trying. He's trying. Samuel says, why did you get, bring me here? Why did you disturb me? Why did you bring me up? Now, remember, where would, where was Samuel at this point, right? He's in the afterlife. He's at, in heaven or paradise or Abraham's bosom. There's, I, don't even get me going on the subject of hell and what all that is. I used to know. Trust me. I used to know. And now I don't know. So I don't know. But he's somewhere and he's, he enjoys it. And he's like, why did you disturb me to bring me up here? It's, I don't think it was an ominous, like, why have you disturbed my slumber? Like uh, like the Cave of Wonders from uh, Aladdin. He's like, why did you disturb me? Why did you bring me up here? Again, I don't think Samuel is, like, surprised that he can do this. He's just wondering why he needed to. And so... Saul's like, I'm in such distress. I am overwhelmed by my circumstances. That's what he's saying. The Philistines are fighting against me, and God has departed from me. He no longer answers me by the prophets or my dreams, so I called on you to tell me what to do. <gasps> Wait a minute, what? God won't talk to you? No, that's not it, Saul. You just, you've... You're so out of tune with them and so lack self-awareness. You so lack um, self-confidence. You so lack your an understanding of who you are. You don't even know his voice when he speaks to you. That's what he means when he says, why do you consult me now? Now that the Lord has departed from you and become your enemy. This is not a declaration. This is not a declaration. This is a this is a, a reviewing of this of the situation for Sam, for Samuel. He's like, okay, fine. Then why are you talking to me? If you don't think God's talking to you, why are you talking to me? Right? Theoretically, my job was not theoretically. That's horrible. <laughs> my job when I was on Earth was to talk to God and talk and then reveal that to you and to the people of Israel. So if you think God isn't talking to you directly anymore then why do you think he would talk to me and talk to you? Do you think I could trick him into hearing me? Do you think I could go to him and say, hey, listen, I know you're not talking to Saul anymore, but so let me ask you a question. Like, how's the battle going to go for him? And then God wouldn't know that I'm going to come down here and tell you the answer? Like, there's, there's so much implication in this question. It's not just a direct question. He's saying, if you don't think God's talking to you, why do you think God's going to talk to me for you? Which is a great indication that Samuel fully expected Saul to have heard God at this point. He's like, this is it's not my fault that you're not hearing God. It's you. The Lord has done what he predicted through me. What he predicted, not, not what he guaranteed Samuel's like, you remember, I, I told you what could happen to you if you continue down this path. Way back at the beginning when the choice you made was pretty mundane. It really wasn't a horrible choice. But if you go down that path, this is where you're going to end up. 
I told you that. The Lord would tear the kingdom out of your hands and give it to one of your neighbors, to David. Now Saul knows this, right? He's rehearsing what Saul already knows. He goes, because you didn't obey the Lord and carry out the, his, his, quote, wrath against the Amalekites, the Lord has done this to you today. Again, it, I know those that want God to be wrath-filled so that they can be wrath-filled and blame it, you know, that they're just being like God. That is not what's going on here. I do understand that it's written here. I do. And I know this is where some of you are like, okay, this is where, you know, Bob's going to be blaspheming. This is where the influence of the translator comes in. This is where the influence of the writer comes in. This is where someone hears the voice of God or reads the words on the paper and decides the direction in which the tone is going to take. You can't avoid that academically. You can't pretend that that doesn't happen. And in this, in these phrases, they try to continue this mindset that they have that all of this comes from God, that God is doing all of this to Saul. Samuel says, remember when I warned you about this because you, you chose not to obey the Lord? You were supposed to carry out the full plan. You didn't. And now this is this is the result of making that choice, is over, that choice over and over and over again, to not obey the full instruction of the Lord, to not listen to his invitation, to not step into the fullness of what he has for you. This this is the results. You, I told you this was going to happen. I Like, why are you asking me a question that you should already know why it happened? Now, the Lord will deliver both Israel and you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also give the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Now, now, is this a guarantee? Is this the sovereign will of God? No. Samuel's like, this is the logical conclusion that goes all the way back to your decision to disobey, your decision to not work in the realm of of God. He gave you some instruction you didn't obey. You keep doing that, this is where you end up. It's like saying it's like saying when you uh <laughs> let's let let me put it in in uh, a relational circumstance. I see somebody who can't help flirt with the opposite gender. They find it empowering. They find it cute. They find it funny. You know, they, they it, it builds their ego. And I warn them because now they're you know quote dating somebody, but they're still very flirtatious. I'll warn them. Listen, your your pattern, your pattern could lead to trouble if you continue to flirt, if you continue to, um, in essence, make promises that you don't plan on on following through on. You know, you keep getting numbers, you keep sending uh, flirty texts because they're, quote, funny, you're just kidding. Like that kind of pattern could really cause you trouble in your marriage. And then they don't stop. Now, did I curse them? Did I say, listen, you're going to end up cheating on your spouse because you're this way. You're going to end up in a divorce situation because you are this way. No. But when they come to me, whatever number of years later, and they say, yeah, you know, I never stopped. I, you know, I should have. Um, I always, da, 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 and now we're here, like, fix me or fix us. I can look at them and say, you do know I covered this, right? 
And often they will say, yeah, oh, yeah, I remember when you said this. That's why that's why we're back here is because what? Because you told us the truth. And then I say, well, you need to end it like you're on the verge of divorce. If you want to change things around, you're going to have to change things around. If you don't, you're going to end it like your your relationship is over. Oh, I don't want to change who I am. It's who I am. Is there another way to fix us? Can you help my spouse understand that I don't mean anything by the text I send or by the words I say? And it's, you know, in a much shorter phrasing, I would basically say, hmm, you want your spouse to believe you that you're not, that you're not a truthful person. Except with them, you're truthful with them, right? And then the whole trust thing clubs out and the, all the lies and the deception. And oftentimes by the end of the meeting, and I, I hate it when this happens, but by the end of the meeting, somebody isn't willing to change they're not willing to build the trust, and the marriage is over. Samuel's going through this right now with Saul. He's like, listen, you haven't changed for years. You continued down the path I, I warned you about for years, and now you're at the verge of losing everything. You're going to die. Your kids are going to die. The army's going to lose. Israel, The army of Israel is going to go to the hand of Philistines, and immediately Saul falls full length on the ground now. He's filled with fear. Because of Samuel's words, his strength is gone. He hadn't eaten all day and all that night. So Saul is on a, he's he's physically weak. He's exhausted. He's full of fear. And Samuel basically said, you're the one who did this. It's not that God needs to speak to you. He's been trying to. It's that what you're, you're the, the logical result of the choices you've made is sitting right in front of you. You're the only one that can change this, Saul. It's not up to God. I can't, oh man, this, this principle is so huge, right? How many people, how many people get to the end result of their choices and says, God, fix it. God, what did I do? God, why did you do this to me? And that's, that's what Samuel's addressing in this. He's like, you think God did all this to you. It's you. Repent. Change the way you think. Change the way you see things. Go to God. Ask him to help you. Go to God and say, look at I've made a huge mess. How do I fix it? Literally, go to the question. Back a few minutes ago, Samuel says to Saul, why did you disturb me by bringing, bringing me up here? What, is, what was Samuel's question? His question is, I'm in great distress. His perspective had not shifted, even in the presence of Samuel, who he was bowing down before. His perspective was still about me. I have called on you to tell me what to do. I can't, I can't make the decision because I need to be the victim of somebody else's decision. When you are distressed and you live in a culture of fear, you literally defer every decision to somebody else. You have no more dreams. You have no more direction. You have no more good ideas. 
You're literally at the mercy of everybody else's ideas, and that's where Saul is. He's like, I don't know what to do. Samuel's conversation with him, and this was a long conversation. It was not, it was not that quick. His conversation with him says, you know what to do. You know, you literally know what to do, and you know what will happen depending on the choice you make. You know how to make this right with God. You know what to do, and you don't do it. And Saul lays on the ground. He's like completely overwhelmed. And this is where the the megaphone of the enemy or the magnifying glass of the enemy makes a problem seem so much bigger than it is because Saul right now is, is shaking in fear because it looks like the next decision he makes is irrever- like there's like he can't go back. That's what, that's what the enemy tells you. When you're at this level, this length, of, of confusion and self-doubt and, and distress and disappointment and fear and anxiety, loss of hope, loss of direction. When you've lost all of that and, and you hear the voice of God that says, just make you know this decision and change things. Like just turn around, get a different perspective. The enemy says, you can't change now. The, you you could never change. You've gone way too far down this road. If you change, you can't change. You can't change. Yeah, sure. Okay, fine. You can make things right for a week, maybe two, but come on. We all know who, quote, you really are. Yeah. Oh, man, the enemy just, trust me, the enemy is screaming at Saul right now. That's why he's overwhelmed with fear. This is not the fear of the Lord. And I know that people, again, who like to use these, this passage to manipulate behavior will say, see, he was overcome with the fear of the Lord. No. No, because the fear of the Lord invites you into, into a relationship. The fear of the Lord is not something you're afraid of. It's something that you you step back and say, wow, I'm about to let the love of God come into my life and rearrange everything, and that's scary. That's the fear of the Lord. It's not that you're scared of God. It's scary to think about all the decisions that you've made in the past that are about to be reversed, all the things that were wrong that are about to be right, because you think that you are those decisions, and you think you are uh, the, the results of those decisions, but you're really not. You're who God says you are. And Saul was God's anointed to lead Israel, and that was still true even in this moment. And and the woman says to him, look it, I obeyed you. I, I took my life in my hands and did what you told me to do. Now please listen to me. Let me give you some food so you can eat and have your strength and go on your way. And he was like, no, I can't, I can't eat, I can't eat. Like, I'm so disturbed, I'm so shaken, I'm so weak, I can't move, I can't get off. Basically, this woman's, like, Samuel leaves, she sees him leave, she hears this whole conversation. This is, this is a, this is a, a long conversation. It's not just four, par- you know, four verses long. This is a long conversation. I don't think Samuel was mad. I just think he, he was, he was passionate 
I think he was passionate. He was he he was uh, empathetic. He could see what Saul could do. He he could see what Saul could have been and still could be if Saul makes the choice right here, right now to turn things around. So he leaves, and the woman looks, and and the king of the country is laying in her house. She's a known witch, and he can't move. He's so overcome by fear. The army, she knows the army is is mounted, you know, whatever, miles away. They're going to be looking for him. There's two guards outside. She's thinking she's going to die, and if anything happens to to the king, she definitely will die. She's like, let me give you some food. Like, let's, let's get you some food. Let's get you on your way. Let's get you out of my house. He's like, no, I won't. She's like, oh, boy. So she looks at the men, and the men are like, yeah, actually, we'll help you because we kind of want to get out of here too because I'm sure they heard Saul's side of this conversation, and they knew that Saul was in a – like, if they're attendants, they know what Saul's like when he's spiritually disturbed and, and afraid. They've seen this before. They've seen it hundreds of times probably, and they're like, yes, we need to get him going. So they keep urging him, and eventually he listened to them, and he got off the ground, and he sat back up on the pillows, and the woman killed a a little calf, and she made bread. Like, this takes the rest of the night, and she put it all before Saul, and they ate, and they left. So I'm guessing they left probably around 3 or 4 in the morning. This was an all-nighter, so Saul's been up now for 24 hours. And Saul has a choice to make, as he always did, and the choice was always available to him because God, in his love, always gives us that freedom to make the choice. Always. He never imposes his will on us. He just always invites us to step into it. He doesn't guarantee all of the negative results. He's like, I can stop it. Repent, and I can stop it. Wow, I I think I preached more than I told that story because, man, I I was surprised at how much stuff came up. But I hope you enjoyed it, and uh, we will connect again next week. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer.com at gmail.com. See you next week, guys.